We have been blessed with the exalted privilege of worshiping God together this morning. And we have now come back to this afternoon service, which may very well be a little bit more of a challenge. I've repeated this joke so many times, my wife told me one time that I needed to get a different one. She's not here, so I'll tell it again. There used to be a saying in the, in the, uh, out in the farmland uh, in uh, Jackson County where I grew up that when cows got foundered, they would stand in the pond. If that were true of people, we'd, there'd be several of us standing in the pond this afternoon, I'm sure. It'd be a little bit cool, but uh, at any rate, we enjoyed that very wonderful meal that was prepared by, I suppose, most of the ladies. Now, there may be some men that uh, are involved in the cooking, too. Uh, we've had a few at Carthage that were excellent cooks, and uh, many years ago, when I first moved there, for several years thereafter, uh, we started a little thing where uh, the month of May, which is when Mother's Day is, we'd have our fellowship meal, and the men cooked for the women. And we had some contests uh, to see what man was the best cook. You'd be surprised at some of the great dishes that uh, the men were able to prepare. And we honored our wives and mothers and sisters in Christ uh, in that way. We might, tried to make it a very special event. And uh, now there was a lot of beanie weenies and pork and beans on the table, but uh, we had good meals and it was a very enjoyable experience. Your meal was very beautifully served and it tasted just as well, if not better. And I commend you ladies for the good job that you do in that regard. I appreciate the fact that I've gotten to know a lot of you better and the fact that you knew my brother, James Paul, and other members of my family. The kind things that uh, you have said about him, I deeply appreciate. And uh, it was an honor that uh, his youngest, Gina, and uh, two of his grandchildren were able to be here with us this morning. And I was happy to see J.P., who incidentally is named after him, and uh, Max, uh, who was uh, just a little fellow uh, when his granddad passed away. But I do appreciate the kind things that you've said in that regard. I'm happy to see a lot of people here this afternoon. Brother Junior Ransom has been a good friend of mine for many years and a great encourager of mine. And I'm glad he's able to be here. And I just met Brother Sandusky not long ago. Found out that he works with the Hardee's Corporation and sometimes is in Carthage and preaches the gospel over Hebron. And uh, I am very happy to be able to know him. And I appreciate Brother Local Talent, too. Uh, Brother Local Talent has done a wonderful job leading the singing. Uh, that's what it says. Song director, local talent. So I saw that on the bulletin, and I, I well, I know what it means. I, you know, I'm not that dense, but I was thinking about that. You have so many talented people leading, uh, men leading the singing, and I, I appreciate that. And as I mentioned this morning to the brother who led the singing, singing in gospel meetings is very important. And not only do the leaders do a great job, but all of you do a great job. And I fail to commend you for your beautiful, commodious building, the comfort of it, the beauty of it, the beautiful flowers here. 
that tells me that you folks take pride in things of that nature. And uh, the appearance of your building is always nice. I drive this road quite a bit going to and from Cookville to Gainsborough, and uh, I'm always impressed by the cleanliness and the neatness around the building. And that is a good impression. That makes a good impression. And so uh, we, we commend you for that. I'm sure there are other things I'll think of later that I wish I had said, one of which is that Randy and Denise are very near and dear to our family too. Uh, I was honored when they chose to tie the knot a few years ago that they asked me to do that ceremony for them. I don't know if either of them's ever forgiven me, but uh, at any rate, they have, uh, they have been a blessing to me, and I appreciate them. And these lovely girls of theirs, uh, we think a lot of them too. Brooklyn is still going to camp with us. We have a Jackson Smith County Youth Camp every summer, and uh, she's been a part of that and always a, a good camper and putting pressure on you, Brooklyn. And uh, so she's going to go with us, I think, for her senior year this year. But we are delighted to be with you. Appreciate you being here. I'll try not to keep you too long. Maybe you can get home and get an out. And uh, I'll be going to the services at Carthage tonight. But it is a challenge sometimes after we eat a wonderful meal and then get comfortable to stay awake. But stay with me for a little while. I won't preach over an hour or two. And uh, then I'll let you go. But I want to talk to you about something that I really think is very important in our day and age, and any age for that matter. I was reading some material not long ago, and I came across this statement that said, These are but men. I thought there's a great sermon title right there. These are but men. In the King James rendering of 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Paul, among other things, said, quit ye like men. Now, if you put that into a literal rendering, he would be saying, behave like men. The word quit in John or in uh, 1611, when the King James Version was translated, meant to behave. Behave yourselves like men. That idea has been around for a long time. Uh, for example, Jeremiah said as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem, Show me a man. Show me a man. He wasn't talking about a person of male gender. He went on to describe the man as being one who loves truth and justice. A man who will take a stand for what is right. He has not forgotten what is right and what is wrong. And he has enough backbone that he will stand up for those things. And he will be what God wants him to be. Back in Genesis 2, where God created man, it is said that he breathed into, his, into the nostrils of man the breath of life. And man became a living soul, created to the glory and honor of God, to serve God, to do His will, to exercise dominion over His creation, to serve as a companion and a spouse to the queen of creation. That would be Eve, his wife, created by special creation, you might say. 
taking from man a rib and fashioning it into a helper that was meet or suitable for him since one could not be found among all the other created beings. And so man and woman came into existence, male and female. Uh, we want to talk this afternoon about mankind. Man filling his role, woman filling her role, realizing that we are but human beings, but all the things that are possible when we wield ourselves to the will of God and serve Him as His Word directs, it is simply astounding at the things of which men are capable things that they're able to accomplish and do in honor and service to God. The Bible reveals three distinct classes of beings. First of all, we have deity. In the beginning, God, Elohim, plural, created the heavens and the earth. You'll understand why that's plural when you read a little bit later where it is said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. We learn from the book of Colossians and other passages that Jesus was involved in the creation. All things were made by him, not anything was made that uh, was not made by him. And in all things, or that in all things, he might have the preeminence, Paul said. We know that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. The Spirit is mentioned in Genesis chapter 1 as brooding over the face of the deep. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You remember Jesus said, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We read elsewhere in the, in the scriptures about the Godhead. Brother Basil Overton used to point out literally the Godhood. That is, we talk about manhood, childhood, the qualities, the characteristics of being a man, of being a child. Godhood refers to the fact that these beings, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have the characteristics of God. They are deity, not humans. Then secondly, you have the angelic beings. I believe personally that they were created by God to do His bidding and so on, to be His ministers. They obviously have free moral agency because we read that uh, there are angels who sinned and are reserved uh, for that day of punishment that, and judgment that's going to come upon them. So we know that we read of angels many, many times in the Bible, and no doubt those men who visited uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, came into Sodom to visit with Lot, were angelic beings. Uh, there are other references to angels throughout the Bible. They're never depicted as females, nothing against women now. But it's just one of those fads that has arisen uh, about angels. They're never depicted as having halos. 
so far as I know. Uh, nothing is said really about wings of angels in the Bible are being beings with wings and so there are things that have arisen around a study of angels that simply aren't uh, upheld in the scriptures there are so many people today for example who talk about the rapture the Bible says absolutely nothing about the rapture and yet it's believed widely and there are also things about angels and about other subjects uh, that people believe that are not necessarily revealed in the scriptures. And then there's the third group of beings, what we call man, mankind, male and female, were created by God. Now, as you think about these three groups, we're more familiar perhaps with mankind. And when it comes to men... I'm talking about people in general now. We, we see things that remind us that we are just men. I've always enjoyed football, uh, especially University of Tennessee football. Uh, I li started listening to it when I was a very young man. And I could tell you the names of the players, how much they weighed and all that back years ago. At any rate... I see some of those people now that I grew up watching play professional football. Before our house burned, I had an autographed picture of Bart Starr. He was uh, one of my heroes when he played with the Green Bay Packers, won that first Super Bowl, then the second Super Bowl, and all of that. Not too long ago, I saw a program where all of these old football players were being honored. A lot of them were in wheelchairs. A lot of them could barely walk. When they used to play on the gridiron, I thought they were superhuman. I mean, I thought they were invincible. But guess what? These are but men. Subject to all the frailties of the flesh, that all men have. Regardless of how long they uh, build their bodies physically, some of them now with the use of steroids and all that, they just become, they look like supermen. But guess what? They get old. Their joints begin to fall apart and develop arthritis. And pretty soon they have to go to nursing homes and then are carried finally to the silent city of the dead not long ago one of the most supposedly one of the most beautiful women who ever lived died Elizabeth Taylor oh I saw her in Giant first time I think that's the first movie I ever saw on the big screen she's a beautiful woman and she loved jewels and perfumes and all of that the story was told that there was a woman who told her one time that that diamond she was wearing was really very gaudy and just too much. And she smiled at her and said, well, sweetheart, would you like to try it on? She handed it to her. The woman put it on her finger and held it out, you know, in great admiration. She said, it isn't too gaudy now, is it? At any rate... Uh, 
sometimes we make those judgments of other people, you know, but as long as it's ours, why, it's okay. But Elizabeth Taylor is dead. She was a woman. She was just a woman. That's all. Had talent, good looks, all of that. But she was a human being, just like everybody else. She's not a god. She was not an angel. These are but men. Sometimes when you think about that, the question comes to mind, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Posed by the psalmist back in the 8th Psalm. When you consider the greatness of God, what is man? You remember the story of Job? And Job had suffered all these terrible calamities, and then his body was afflicted with boils, and he was just a miserable wretch. His wife even turned against him and said, Why don't you just curse God and die? There was a good sister in a ladies' Bible class one time that sort of put that in a little bit different light. She had seen people suffer a lot in her family. She made this observation. She said, sometimes we perhaps forget how deeply it hurt her to see her husband suffer so. I'd never thought about that. No doubt it was difficult for her. But of course we know that she should have had faith in God to see her through her suffering as well as seeing Job through his suffering. His friends found fault with him. He went through so much, lost his family, lost all of his livestock and so on. He came to a time where he sort of questioned God. And then God says, okay, Job, it's my turn now. Where were you when I did thus and so? Where were you when I created the world? And he talks about all these wonderful things. I believe that's the context in which he said, Have you entered into the treasures of the snow? Have you been able to delve into the, all the deep meanings of the things that go on in this world? Job suddenly realized, I am but a man. Who am I to question God? And yet we so often find ourselves doing the very same thing, questioning God. I've had people standing by the side of a casket look at me and say, How could God do this to me? And they blame God for the loss of a child or the cancer that took their family member are a thousand and one other things that isn't God's fault. Who is man to question God? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Think about that. Can we even fathom a God who would stoop to our level to give His only begotten Son for our sins, 
to make atonement for our mistakes that we might live with him eternally in spite of all <clears throat> excuse me all that we have done to show disregard and contempt for him look at some of the things that go on within our nation today things that are going on within our world as Roger mentioned in the prayer a little while ago. Think about the abortion rates. Think about the child abuse. Think about this has become a problem just in the last several years, we're told. The abuse of elderly people. Things that are done the heinousness of some crimes defies description. Many years ago in Lebanon, Tennessee, a man that lived at Carthage knew the man. Guy came in to rob him in a service station. He gave him his money. That wasn't enough. He said, open your mouth. When he opened his mouth, he stuck the barrel of the pistol in his mouth and pulled the trigger. After he already had the man's money. Now that is nothing but what we used to call meanness. That's just being mean. One of our former elders at Carthage had a son who was in school at Lipscomb. He was working at a convenience store. Late one night, a robber came in with a sawed-off shotgun. <clears throat> Demanded all the money. Told him to lie down behind the cash register, behind the counter. After he opened the cash register drawer, the man took all the money out of the cash register drawer. And for no reason, but just for good measure, he reached over the counter with a sawed-off shotgun and shot John in the back. Hard to imagine. Somebody could be that mean. He didn't kill him. John has walked with a limp the rest of his life. He intended to, and if his aim had been a little bit better, he would have. And has been, had major health problems and several surgeries through the years. But his mom and dad never lost faith, never gave up. Been faithful to the Lord until his dad died, and now his mother suffers with Alzheimer's. But can you imagine man doing things like that? Then go to the cross and look at all the people who were congregated there to see to it that the innocent Son of God would die a horrible death on the cross. Jews, Gentiles alike were there. All were involved in it. And yet, as Jesus was nearing, drawing his final breath, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And guess what? The Father honored that request. Not right then. The gospel would be preached in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, a few weeks thereafter. 
And when those people who were convicted of the fact that they had crucified the Son of God cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter told them. He announced the terms of their forgiveness that day. You see, that forgiveness wasn't realized at the cross. It was made possible by, by the events that transpired at the cross. But it was announced on the day of Pentecost. And from that day forward, God has said, I'm willing to forgive you. Think about that. Who is man? Wicked, sinful, vile man. That thou art mindful of him. For God so loved. One commentator said that little adverb of manner, S-O, deserves volumes to be written about it. Because it tells us the extent to which God has gone to show His love for us. There's one thing I've said many times, more difficult, than giving yourself to die for somebody. Oh, I've been inspired and touched and moved, as have all of us, by stories of a soldier in a foxhole curling his body around a grenade to save other people's lives. Or someone, you know, jumping in front of an automobile to save a child. But God did something even greater than that. I believe that under certain circumstances and situations, I could die for somebody else. I think I could do that. And I'm sure that many of you could do the same thing. For a child, we could do it. But suppose you were called upon to give one of your children for somebody else. That'd be a different matter, wouldn't it? I don't believe I could do that. But read the rest of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God was willing to go further and do more to make the salvation of men available than just about, I'd say, any of us would ever do. Oh, we'd give ourselves, yeah. But to give our only begotten son, that would be very, very difficult. Now, you might be willing to die for a friend, someone real close to you, but what about the vilest murderer on death row in Nashville, Tennessee, in the state penitentiary? You think about Jesus died for Saul of Tarsus. Jesus died for those people who persecuted the church. Jesus died for those very people who put him to death. 
Doesn't the Bible say he tasted death for every man? He died that all might be saved. He would that all would come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. What is man? These are but men, but ah, they are the object, objects of God's love. He loves them to the point that He would give His only begotten Son. I thrill to read the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 especially. I've preached from that passage so many times you can probably see some of the markings in my New Testament here. I've preached sermon after sermon from Hebrews chapter 11. And yet when I read it, I now think of it from the standpoint of this lesson. These are but men. But look what they did. What they accomplished by their faith in God. They put their trust in Him. We have it on our money. We say that we trust in God, but do we really? I think more and more people are trusting in the almighty dollar. It doesn't seem too mighty this day and age. But nevertheless, you know, it represents monetary value. Usually people think it's a whole lot bigger in the collection plate than it is the grocery store. Brother Tom Holland used to say that it, to some people it looks like a bed sheet in the collection plate and a postage stamp at the grocery store. Uh, perhaps that's the case. But it represents monetary value to us. But we still have that statement on there, in God we trust. I hope we'll never lose that. It hasn't always been on our coinage, but... I'm glad that it was put there to remind us of the one in whom we are to put our trust. These people in Hebrews 11 did exactly that. When you start reading about Abel, you read about Enoch, you read about Noah, you read about Abraham. All these people, they were but men. But look at what they did. Their faith their courage, they faced adversity over and over again. They had a vision. Notice Abraham looked for a city. He searched for that city that had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. You remember the story of Joseph? Before he died, what did he do? He gave commandment concerning his bones. When my family leaves here, I want my bones taken with you. That's vision. That man understood we're leaving here one day. This is not our home. We're going to leave. And when we do, I want my family to carry my bones with them. Where there's no vision, the people perish. The work of the Lord perishes where there's not any vision. We need to have the vision that comes from faith in God. Sometimes over the years we've come to a point at Carthage maybe where somebody's saying, well, this is, needs to be done, but how in the world are we going to get that done with the resources that we have and the manpower we have? And usually there will be somebody that will speak up and say, where is our faith? Where is our faith? We've done things before with the help of the Lord. 
And there's no reason we can't do this. It has been a goal of our eldership for a long time to have as much of our budget allotted to mission work as to local needs. And we pretty well reached that point in time. We get requests over and over and over from mission points. And there are people who know that they might have a good opportunity of being supported if they'd contact the brethren at Carthage. Oh, we can't do everything. None of us can. But it's amazing what we can all do if we'll just all do what we can where we are with what we have. It's amazing at what can be done. You see the obedience of these people. How could they be successful against great odds? Because they believed God and they obeyed Him. Moses made the decision that he made because he had respect under the recompense of the reward. You see, they knew that God would take care of these things and that they would receive their reward if they would just be faithful to God. So many times we miss the point in Revelation 2.10. Sometimes even brethren quote that, Be thou faithful until death. That's not what the passage says. It says, Be faithful unto death. And you put it in the context of the book of Revelation, it simply means you be faithful to God even if it means you have to die for His cause. That's the idea. There are various opinions about the book of Revelation. It's the date of writing and all of that. Some believe that it uh, centers around the, uh, the earlier persecution of the Lord's church, but many believe that it was the persecution by terrible domitian uh, toward the end of the first century. That is when the book was written and so on. But whatever the date, we know that the brethren were going through severe trials. Their faith was being tested. And John was writing to encourage them to be faithful to God. Period. Oh, but it's so hard. Be faithful to God. All of us have seen that bumper sticker that says Simplify. Some of you, I'm sure, know what that means. Semper Fidelis. The marine motto. It literally means always faithful. Be at your post of duty. I've marveled at the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. One of the great stories about them was when a hurricane was coming in many years ago now, several years ago now. It was decided that that procedure, that routine would be canceled. Those men said, no way. No way. And so they stayed at their post of duty, walking back and forth and changing the guard all through that storm, just like they always do in fair weather. It's not too difficult to be faithful when everything's convenient and comfortable and everything's going well. But when difficulty comes and there are threats being made and the Lord's people are being arrested and tried and put to death, uh, that's, as we used to say, a horse of different color, isn't it? 
But the Lord says, be faithful unto death. Be faithful. That's my task. That's your task. All we may wonder, sometimes we may even question. But our responsibility is to be faithful. These are but men. But consider what God has done for them. We've already told you the things that he has done spiritually to give us the opportunity to be children of his. Anybody hear about Kate Middleton and her marriage to the prince? One fellow in Carthage made the observation, you know what? She got up that morning a commoner. She went to bed that night royalty. There's a great lesson. In fact, there was a brother at Carthage the other night used that as a little lesson when he extended the invitation. He said, you know, we're mere men. We're just commoners. But we can be of the royal family by being married to Christ, becoming a part of his bride. We become a part of the royal family. Or, to use another figure, we're adopted into the family. We become a member of the, pro of the royal family by adoption. Kate Middleton, see, became royalty by marrying royalty. When we are married to Christ, Romans chapter 7, we then become a member of the royal family. We are but men. But that's what God has made possible for us. Think of what God can do with those who are but mere men. We've been talking about that. And think also, if you will, about where God desires to take us. He's prepared a place for us. And He desires us to live there with Him forever and ever to enjoy all of the wonderful things of that beautiful place we call heaven. Yes, these are but men. But we can become children of God and enjoy all spiritual blessings from Him in this life and all that He has to offer to the faithful in the life that is yet to come. If you're not a New Testament Christian, why don't you become one this afternoon? God is not willing that any should perish, but desires all to come to repentance. If you believe in Jesus as the Son of God and are willing to turn from a life of sin, you can be baptized into Christ this very afternoon. You can become a member of the royal family, the royal priesthood, as Peter describes it. And you can offer us up spiritual sacrifices to God. Present your body a living sacrifice to Him from this point onward. If you're an erring child of God and you've left home and you've, you've departed from the royal family, guess what? You can come back. God will kill the fatted calf for you. He'll put shoes on your feet. He'll put a royal robe on you. He'll put a ring on your finger. And He will uh, fix you a feast but there's nothing else to compare to in this life. Why don't you be restored? Come if you're subject as we stand and sing. <laughs>